So we are studying the book of Proverbs. Series is called Foolproof because God wants to foolproof our lives. I am so so excited about this series. I'm getting a lot out of it, I, and I want you to get the most you can out of this series. And I know. Uh, so here are some things you can do. Number one, attend regularly, and if you miss Sunday, just go online and listen to the sermon online. Uh, number two be reading the book of Proverbs during this series. It's conveniently, there are 31 chapters, and so you could read a chapter a day. We'll be in this series for three months, and you will become wiser uh, if you take the Proverbs challenge. And if you kind of uh, forget, get for a few days, you can always just say what day of the week or the month is it? Oh, it's, you know, the 12th. Go to Proverbs 12 and read it. And so if you do this uh, diligently, you'll go through Proverbs three different times. Proverbs divides humanity into three types, the wise, the foolish, and the simple. And you don't want to be a fool. And the simple are those who have not yet made enough life choices to be characterized as foolish or wise. And Proverbs uh, is encouraging the simple to pursue wisdom like you would pursue silver and gold. In fact, more so because the payoff is greater. The wise are encouraged to become even wiser still, and the fools are encouraged to repent, change their ways. What is wisdom? Well, last week, uh, well, wisdom is living in harmony with reality. There are laws of the created uh, universe that go beyond the laws of nature. There are laws of being. Reasons relationships flourish. Reasons people flourish. And wisdom is to live in harmony with those laws. And so how do we, how do we know? Well, we, we know how to live in harmony because God in his uh, word has revealed that to us. And so to be wise is to take God at his word and live uh, in harmony with his creation. And if we do that, we will flourish. We'll be blessed. Uh, We will live and have um, honor. But if we try to cut against the grain, if we try to do it our own ways, if we are uh, stubborn and and unwilling to learn, then it's going to take us uh, into very unhealthy places. Last week I said that uh, we can't even take a single step down the path of wisdom unless we fear the Lord. And I used Raylan Jr.'s definition of fear of the Lord in which he says, uh, to fear the Lord is to realize that I'm not the measure of things. I'm being measured. The human heart starts with the assumption that I'm the ruler. Not just that I'm in charge, but I'm the standard. Uh, and so we, we, we assume that we can look at life and say, decide for ourselves what is right and wrong and good and bad and beautiful and ugly and worthy of our, our time and energies or not. But the fear of the Lord is to come to that place where you recognize, wait a second, I'm not the standard. God's the standard. He's the ruler. And in fact, I'm being uh, judged. God is measuring me. I'm going to have to give an account to my creator. Did I or didn't I live a life that was worthy? Was I obedient? Did I pursue what he says is right and good and true and beautiful? 
And so you cannot make, uh, you will make absolutely no progress in the life of wisdom if you aren't willing to humble yourself. That's where it begins. Humble yourself before God and say, okay, you know better than I do. You're the creator, I'm the creature. And so teach me. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to even be corrected. I'm willing to change my ways because I want to be wise and I believe that life is found uh, in wisdom. Turn, if you would, into today's text, Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to start. The the text is actually verses 8 through 19. I'm going to start reading, though, in verse 10. Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let's lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We'll all have one purse. My son, Do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So I, th- I see in this text three uh, wisdom principles that if we will apply ruthlessly to our lives uh, will make us wise and will protect us from a whole lot of bad stuff. And the first one is this. Number one, don't advantage yourself at other people's expense. Don't advantage yourself at other people's expense. Look at verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. When we gain unjustly, what does that mean? It means at other people's expense. When we benefit on the backs of other people, uh, God is not in that. We will not be blessed. So what does this look like? Well, um, yesterday I uh, I watched Morgan play volleyball. Sabrina and I arrived early. You're supposed to play, uh, pay $5 to get in. But we arrived before the ticket taker. And so we slipped right in there, and uh, we didn't have to pay. And so we watched a game, and then I started having to go to the bathroom. And, and then I thought, uh-oh, if I leave to go to the bathroom and come back in, then I'm going to have to pay, right? So I'm holding it wrestling with myself, and Sabrina, who is much more spiritual, said at some point, oh, by the way, you need to go over there and uh, pay for us. Oh, oh yes, of course, you know, like I always meant to. But I was tempted to advantage myself at uh, the expense of the booster club. Here are some other ways. Now, in our, in our text today, uh, the father gives his son an extreme example. You go out, onto the highways, and you rob people, and you kill them, and you take everything they have, and you fill your house with plunder. That's an extreme example, but uh, there are many subtle ways that we do this, aren't there? 
So I wrote some down. Uh, how about charging the maximum rate when we see that somebody really needs our product, right? They're desperate, we can tell, uh, and so we think, uh, they're at a point of need, I can just charge whatever I want to, and, and they're gonna give it to me. Taking advantage of their point of need. How about gossiping? Uh, maybe you're at work and so you think, I'm gonna gossip about my uh, colleague and uh, highlight, rumor about all the bad things that they do, all their failings, so that I like look good in comparison. And then when a time for promotion comes or raises, I get that. They don't. Uh, how about negotiating a contract in, a, in an unfair way so that you're clearly the winner? A lot of books tell us how to do that, right? How to negotiate so that in the end, you know, you get a lot more than they do. Um, I remember Steve Holsinger did a lot of real estate deals. Um, he told me one time, he said, you know, I make it my goal when I do real estate deals uh, that the other person walks away also feeling like they win. Also feeling, and I, th I remember thinking, that is just, so you never hear that. That just is so odd. Um, and yet it's so godly, isn't it? Uh, how about um, when you go home and realize that uh, the clerk at the store has given you more change than you deserved. Do you go back and say, hey, uh, you overpaid me? Or do you say, <laughs> How about finding something valuable and making no attempt to find to whom it really belongs? I think about a couple summers ago, Chris Kefalos, my brother Luke, and I resurrected a sunken drift boat on the Kenai River. Uh, it was awesome, man. It was totally sunk, and the Kenai had it. But we were heroes, and we powered it out of the water, and, and we floated it down to Jim's uh, landing and took it home. Free boat, yes. We are of same heart. But Luke, he looks up who it belongs to because it had the numbers and calls the guy. And yes, surprise, he wants his boat back, and he paid us for gas. I was so glad I didn't have to make that because I was thinking finders, keepers, losers, weepers. How about taking advantage of uh, another person's lesser knowledge? I think about my grandma. She had a uh, crooked uh, financial consultant who for years would call her up and advise her to move her money into to a, 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 another fund that gave him higher commissions. And he was constantly bouncing her back and forth because every time she made a you know, uh, transaction, he got paid and ended up squandering a whole lot of her retirement. How about refusing to uh, correct your own poor service? Maybe you're a sheetrocker, right? And um, you do your work, you get paid, and then the homeowner calls you up and says, hey, uh, some of the tape is bubbling out. Could you come back and redo it? And you say, you know, I've already been paid. I'm not going to do that unless you pay me more. And you refuse to go um, do it right. How about declaring banks bankruptcy? When, when you actually could uh, pay back your creditors. And I, I've heard multiple stories uh, from Christian people who, uh, even if they did declare bankruptcy in the moment, then spent years paying back those they owed because they felt that that was the right thing to do. Who does not admire that? That's clearly uh, honoring other people. Finally, how about marrying somebody you don't really love? because 
They have a lot of wealth. So here we have a, a, a biblical principle. Don't advantage yourself at other people's expense. It's clear. We can live that out. And if we do, uh, the Father, and of course, we know that ultimately it's our Heavenly Father who gives us this wisdom. Uh, if we do, we will be blessed. That is uh, the wise path. Now, we might think uh, that we're winning when we step on other people, especially if we get away with it legally, right? We, we might thin, think we're winning, but the Bible says you're losing. You're not actually winning. Verse 18, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. If you advantage yourself at other people's expense, you won't win in the end. It's just, that's what God says. Will we believe it? And will we act on it? And, and why won't we win in the end? Well, because God is not, God never blesses injustice. He opposes injustice. If you're a Christian, he will discipline you. If you're not a Christian, you're going to get punished. And so, uh, all of a sudden, you've got God, uh, you've drawn a, a bullseye on your back. <laughs> and you're not going to win. By, you'll never win by doing that. And so you, you might get a super short-term gain, but in the long term, it's going to cost you a whole, a whole lot more. Super practical, right? We can apply this to our lives. Am I seeking to advantage myself at other people's expense? Better not do that, because God says, uh, in the end, it's going to cost me a lot more than I get. It's going to take away my life. That's strong wording. Second wisdom principle I see in the text is this. Beware of greed. Verse 19 again. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It starts in our heart, right? What is, uh, what's the condition of our heart? What is greed? Greed is a, a super strong desire for something that'll, that causes you to um, often take shortcuts to get. And to reach out and grab it in very inappropriate it means, because you have this super strong craving. Uh, be careful about allowing greed to um, grow in your heart. It won't lead to good places. That's not wise. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. God advises contentment. I know I start, the screen doesn't start until verse 9. Let me start earlier though in verse 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. In other words, there's a huge payoff. A huge blessing associated with being content. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. I love how he states that in the plural. Uh, this is the attitude of the Christian. Christians are people who are content with the essentials, with the necessities. 
Although I read that and I have to ask, is that really true of me? Am I, am I going to be content with food and clothing? Is that true of you? Boy, if we can get there, there is great gain. You will be blessed if you cultivate a heart of contentment. A heart that says, I'm content with just uh, food in my belly and clothes on my back. There's huge payoff there. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. When, you're, when you have a greedy heart, uh, it is easy for Satan to snare you. It's like being, if you're a starving animal and, and the trapper has a little filet mignon, uh, you know, sitting on top of the, of the trap, you're probably going to get caught, right? Because you're having a hard time resisting. You have a greedy heart, and the evil one's like, man, this guy is so easy to trap. I can do, I have all kinds of things I can do to set a snare. And so that's when you desire uh, to be rich, when you desire uh, more than what you need. You become easy prey. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. How many pains in your life are are the result of of you having a greedy heart? Uh, Serena and I were newly married living, uh, we were in seminary at the time, and on campus arrived this very nice guy, sharply dressed, who, who went around to the students saying, there's this um, super smart investor who uh, wants to help uh, future pastors save for retirement, and so we're, we're guaranteeing you 20% return on your investment annually, guaranteed, no risk at all. Wow. So I went and talked to an older, uh, experienced investor who said, no way. That is way, it, it, if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Don't do it. It's something's, something's fishy there. But I wanted 20% returns, right? And so I invested $25,000. Remember, I'm a 26-year-old kid. It's a lot of money. My... Uh, Another one of my seminary friends invested everything that they uh, had at the time. I think it was close to 50. Fortunately for me, I got uh, started second-guessing myself, and I pulled 20 out. And so when it, all, when it became uh, revealed that it was a big Ponzi scheme, and I only lost five, but my buddy lost everything. Went back to ground zero. That's a pain I brought upon myself because I had a heart of greed. How many pains in your life uh, are a result of greed? You know, I think about Alaska is filled with stories of people who, during the pipeline building, saw a, a, a way to become wealthy, and so they over-leveraged. They bought houses and apartments in order to rent, and then the economy crashed in the 80s, and they're left uh, you know, way over-leveraged, and they lost it all, and, and sometimes had to spend years and years to get back. 
Uh, I think about, what about buying stuff on credit? Oh, I, I need a vacation. I don't have enough money saved up for a vacation, but I can just, you know, put it on my credit card and go for it. And then you get caught in that spiral of debt, right? How about uh, a subpar family life? Because you're working too many hours. So your marriage is suffering and, and you don't have quality time with your kids. Why? Is it because, it, you know, of course we have to provide the essentials. But is it, is it because you have a heart of greed? You want more than what is needed. And because my brother Jim just left to Galena, I was thinking, living in places you shouldn't because you need a job. Actually, I don't think anything wrong there. I just miss him. <laughs> Third wisdom principle that jumps out of this text is this. The wise path uh, rarely, if ever, has shortcuts. So we're talking about wisdom, right? Well, the wise path rarely, if ever, has shortcuts. Verse 8, hear my... Uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 10. My son, or, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So the father is acknowledging that, there, that, that there's something about the offer that is enticing, that is attractive. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us, we'll have one person. What's enticing about that? Well, it's, it's an offer, it's a shortcut. So if this young man had tried to... Um, grow his wealth within the boundaries of the law and according to God's you know, acceptable processes it would have taken a long time, right? Here he is, a young man probably doesn't have anything and he's thinking it's going to take years and years of uh, hard work and saving little by little saving wise choices and frugality and, and so I'm being offered immediate gratification I'm being offered a shortcut. And, and let me tell you, a shortcut to satisfaction is, is so often uh, at the root of temptation. So often, temptation says, you've got that desire, and you can have that desire satisfied right now. But you're going to have to break God's laws. That's okay. Lots of us are doing it. Come join us. Take, just seize what you want. Seize it by force. Do whatever you have to do. But you've got, you've got needs. You've got desires. And, and, and you can have those satisfied. Don't limit yourself to God's, to God's way. It's the long and slow way. Many sins spring from an unwillingness to wait for God. Think about the student who says... I'm not willing to work hard for my grades, so I'm going to cheat. I'm not willing to save up for a, a, a nest egg, so I'll steal. I'm not willing to wait until I find a Christian spouse, so I'll marry the non-Christian in front of me now. I know God says I'm supposed to wait until I, I'm married to have sex, but I don't want to wait, so I'll have sex outside of marriage. I'm not willing for God to change my child's heart. Prayer's not working fast enough, so I'm going to force the issue with threats. 
I'm not willing to work to improve my marriage slowly over time with no guaranteed outcome. So, you know what, I'm just going to find someone different to love right now. I'm not willing to do the slow, hard work of addressing my inner pain. So I'll just mask it with drugs and alcohol. And on and on it goes, right? Proverbs 13.11 tells us this. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And there's a principle here. Um, The way of wisdom, here's, here's the reality. The way of wisdom is usually the slow taking takes effort takes discipline little by little uh, moving toward uh, uh, receiving God's promises and that that's very often the wise path is the slow path and so you be cautioned uh, be cautioned by any offer of a shortcut so often that is the evil one trying to tempt you to break out of God's constraints and do it your own way. Take what you want now. Immediate gratification. Don't wait on God. But the wise path is to say, you know what? I'm only going to pursue uh, my desires within the bounds that God has given. Amazing how practical this book is, isn't it? We've got, you know, so here we, here in just a few verses, we've got some, um, some wisdom principles that we can apply very practically. Don't advantage yourself uh, at other people's expense. All right, we can do that. Number two, beware the greedy heart. Cultivate contentment. All right. And, and then finally, um, be, be careful not to... Uh, Choose a shortcut to getting what you want. Because God's path, the wise path, is very often the slow and steady.